you have your Bibles, you'll want to turn with me to two places. The main place will be is Mark chapter 2, but we'll also be in Genesis chapter 2 uh, as well this morning as we uh, kind of finish up our first half of looking at the book of Mark in chapter 2. And then next week is Palm Sunday. We'll move forward uh, looking towards um, Christ and his uh, crucifixion and resurrection. Um, but as we talk about this today, we're actually ending talking about Sabbath. And Sabbath is something that, that we kind of have this mixed idea of. And I think there's a reason that we have a mixed idea of what Sabbath is. Um, and, I, and I would liken it to just a, a habit that I have. I don't know about you, but um, recently as we're Connor's uh, getting ready for college, um, we, we bought him a, a new car. Um, we have a rule with our kids that, hey, if you choose not to date until you're 16, that we'll buy you a car. Car, it just can't be newer than you, right? So that was that was our rule that that you have to be older than the car we buy for you. So we did that, and so as he's getting ready to go to college, we were afraid that a 23-year-old car with 250,000 miles on it that I fixed the radiator in could be questionable. And so uh, we were driving for Christmas break, knowing we were looking for a car, and driving by dealerships. And I test the waters all the time, and so. You know, I, I asked this dealership, I, hey, I, I saw you have this car on the lot, um, you know, uh, just is it available kind of thing. And so he texted me back the next day and said, yep, it, it's available. Uh, when would you like to come test drive it? I'm like, oh, I'm not coming to test drive it. I said, I'm, I'm just passing through on my way to my anniversary trip. But uh, when I come back, you know, if it were the right price, I, I'd probably stop in and buy it. And uh and uh, he goes, well, what's the right price? And I said, well, actually, you charge extra fees that I don't want to do. And so just thanks a lot. I'm, I'm going to go out and enjoy my vacation. He goes, no, but what price would you want to walk out for? And you have to understand, I don't love haggling, but I love a good deal. Like it's a oxymoron. It's a real hard problem I have, paradox. And, and so I make up a number that's not insulting, but real close. Y'all follow me on that? Some of you like that? Like, I don't want to say $3, because that's just silly, right? But I, I just, I'd make up a number that I think, that's what I would want. If you want to know what it would really take for me to stop back by your dealership on the drive, thank you, Southwest, from Florida back home over the holiday, um, then, then I'll do that. And so I text him, and, and uh, he texts me back and says, I can do that price. When do you want to come in? I'm like, whoa 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 so I said well, well send me the form to make sure you know yada yada he sends me the form and it's the wrong VIN number on it I'm like mm, bait and switch I'm like man that's the wrong VIN number here's the right VIN number he's like no problem Whoop, here's the right one I'm like mm, something's wrong my price should have been a little bit insulting like you should not have jumped on that and so from that moment until Friday night, we're driving back Saturday morning. I am wondering what I did wrong because it was too easy. Have you been there before? Like, this shouldn't have worked this way. Like, there's something, when I walk in, you're going to tell me there's an out-of-state because you live in Texas fee. Like, something's going to happen. And so I really am working and worrying, and here I am on my anniversary trip with my wife, and we're, you know, at bed at night, and I've got my computer and figuring out what I did wrong. Just thinking. And so Friday night, I'm going to bed, and just as clear as possible, the Lord said, why do you turn my gift into something difficult? Why do you do that? Why, when I give you something, do you have to make it hard? You, you, you've stolen the joy that I had meant for you these past three days that should have just been worship. And so stop. 
man, I just convicted. I, I done, got my check. We drove in. The, the car was ready. The young man was nice, and we hit the road. But I thought, there's something about you and me, and I know it's tied to sin, that make the good things of God a burden. And I think the reason is that we've put just enough of ourself into the way that we worship God that we distract ourselves from the glory that God has given us. He's offered to us. And when it comes to the Sabbath, that's what I think. I think it's an abused term. I think when we think about Sabbath, it tends to be tossed aside completely, Right? Or it tends to be made into this anvil you wear around your neck that seems like if I don't do it, the God of all creation is just going to smite me. Like life's going to be hard. And, and, and I don't think either of those are actually biblical. I don't think either one of those lean into the Bible because the reality is, is that that means that we don't understand why the Sabbath was given to us. When we're looking at Scripture that way, it means that God has said, I've given you something, and we've said, ah, but it must be hard. There must be something wrong with it. If it's free, it's not worth it. If it's hard, that makes sense, and I don't enjoy doing it. And so before we get into the Sabbath, we love walking through the how-to. We're not going to go there. I want to walk you through why the Sabbath began. Like, what's the point? What, what initiated Sabbath? The Bible says this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Listen to what the Bible says. And thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, all the host of them. Verse 2, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of the work that he had done. Verse three, you can sneak into it. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Why? Because he rested from all the work that he had done in creation. Here's what I want you to know about how Sabbath began and why Sabbath began. Because I think it's really key. The holiness of the seventh day wasn't because God said the seventh day is coming up. I need to finish this thing really quick and get off the clock because I've told that's going to be a holy day. The holy day, the Sabbath is holy because God rested. Because God made the day holy. It was this idea that God said, I'm going to take this day and I am going to reflect and look over and simply delight in the work of my hands. I'm going to sit this day out and rest. It wasn't that God was really tired because those six days, those were like 24-hour days. He was just going and going and going. And so Sunday, he just needed to put his feet up and pass out or Saturday. That's not what happened. God, it doesn't say that God was tired from his work. It doesn't say God needed to recover from his work. It just said that the Lord rested. It just pleased him to do so. And because it pleased him to do so, the day became a holy marker. If, if you scribble notes, if there's anything I want you to know, if you miss everything else or camp out or check out for the rest of the day, here's what I want you to know. The Sabbath is not a day for you and I to take off and reflect on our handiwork. It's a day to reflect on His. 
And I think there's a filter there that keeps us from making Sabbath into something that it isn't or pushing it aside like it's not important. And I, I know how tempting those are because when, when Sunday comes around, which is a day that, that we keep as a holy day because of the resurrection of Christ, when it comes around, it's like, I have worked so hard this week. I just need to recover for me. It, it, Saturday, or your Sabbath, Sunday, it, it's not about you. It's not about how hard you worked or didn't work. It's not about if you're lazy or not lazy. It's not about if you need a breath or not a breath. See, because what makes you and I holy is Jesus. What makes the Sabbath holy is Jesus. It's the Lord. And so when we get things mixed up in our mind, we all of a sudden start thinking about Sabbath in terms of us. And when we do that, we fall into the trap that Mark chapter 2 walks through. If you're visiting with us for the first time or second time, we've been walking for a few weeks through Mark chapter 2. And in Mark chapter 2, there's some interactions. And all the interactions kind of look at the same idea that the way we practice a faith was way more circled around people than it was around the Lord. If you were to go back to uh, Mark chapter 2 and the healing of the lame man. Remember when someone was lame, someone must have sinned. There must be sin. You must have stirred the pot for God to do something like that. It's, it's man-centric, not God-centric. That someone must have sinned for that to happen. That was a thought of the day. Or, or Levi, remember the tax collector? You didn't eat dinner with a tax collector because there's this idea of sin creep. If you get close to him, his sin creeps onto you. This idea is man-centered. Or, or we could even go into fasting and we could say, well, why do we fast? Everybody else fasts. Why don't your disciples fast? And, and Jesus was pointing out, you're fasting as if it earns you coin in God's pockets. Fasting isn't something that's man-centric. So follow the trend. Sabbath it's not centered on you or I, but when we think that it is, that's when we abuse it. That's when we lose the joy of it. That's when we make a gift into a burden, something sweet into something sour. And Jesus doesn't unpack and correct everything that's going on in Mark chapter two. He doesn't try to write this dissertation on how to practice the Sabbath, but he keeps following this trend that creates massive conflict of saying you need to know more than the how-to of the Sabbath because you need to understand why and what is the Sabbath. And then the how-to starts to become much easier. So if you have your Bible, Mark chapter 2 is where we are. Verse 23 in your Bible is where we'll start off. We'll read the whole thing as we get, as we get rolling into this. Um, and then we'll come back and tear it apart little by little. Mark chapter 2, verse 23 through 28. This is what the Bible says. Uh, one Sabbath, he, that's Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and they made their way, uh, their way. His disciples began plucking the heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why, why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you ever read what David did? When he was in need and when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And so he gave it to those who were with him. And, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, 
excuse me, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so the Lord of man, or the Son of man, is Lord even of the Sabbath. So I, I want to unpack the beginning of this because really the meat of all of this is are the last two verses. But the beginning starts off and shows us this misunderstanding. The, the disciples on the Sabbath, obviously, uh, the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath, is basically sundown Friday night until sundown Saturday night, right? So you eat an early dinner on Friday, so to speak. You prepare all your stuff, and then that you eat leftovers for breakfast and whatnot, and then you can prepare a nice dinner if you want to after sun goes down again. But Sabbath is between sun sundown here and sundown here and so most likely on saturday not at not at night they're walking and his disciples go and and they're walking through most likely wheat fields and his disciples grab heads of wheat and pull them off and i've never done this with wheat before but you actually have to pull them off and then kind of rub them in your hands a little bit to get the grain out and whatnot and so they're doing this and the pharisees come up and says whoa 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 you are breaking the sabbath See, because what the Pharisees have done, they've mixed a little bit of man into what God has told them to do. I mean, what Scripture says in Exodus chapter 34, verse 21, is that on the Sabbath, you don't do the work. You don't harvest, you don't plow. That's what Exodus 34, 21 says. Don't, you, don't, you don't work like that. You don't do things to get ahead. You don't take a day when everybody else is off to kind of move yourself forward. That's not what you do. And so the Pharisees, what they have done is they've said, listen, if you walk through a grain field and you pull wheat off and you rub it between your fingers, that's reaping. Reaping is harvesting. Harvesting is forbidden on the Sabbath. Jesus, these are your disciples, go back to the Levi note, by association, their sin is your sin. Got you. Sounds like a teenager caught in bad decision-making trying to figure out what to do, doesn't it? But it always sounds like us. It sounds like us. Like, how do I just find something wrong? How do I find something hard? What's beautiful about this is just the reality of the burden and the weight that the Pharisees say about themselves. God said, don't plow and he don't harvest on the Sabbath. And so they've added to it. It, it, And what's amazing is Jesus doesn't actually even address this ridiculous addition. It's not his point. He doesn't address the, the, the law that says when you're going through a, a field, you're allowed to grab wheat. Even if the field's not yours, you're allowed to grab food for you to eat. You just can't take a sickle to it. In other words, if you're hungry and you're walking through your neighbor's field, you can take a bite. You can grab a fruit. When you're hungry and walking through your neighbor's field, field you can't like do a harvest and fill your cupboard for the month. You follow me? What's great is we're taking a group to Israel when Christy and I were there in 2014, we're going through these fields and they're beautiful. And I asked our, our leader, I said, you know, in the, in the Bible it says, like, you're allowed to stop and grab something. Like, what would happen if we just pulled over and just grabbed, would that be okay? And he goes, no. <laughs> I mean, it's funny how we choose what to practice and what not to practice in life. The Pharisees took a gift and turned it into a weight and they created this sin jump and and when we take a gift and do that the how-to becomes amazingly critical 
It becomes amazingly important to us because we've taken our eyes off the what and the why and we've turned ourselves into this is just how it ought to be done. And if you're not doing it that way, it's okay. I mean, I love our church family. And one of the things I love about it is that we love to sing older songs. We love to sing younger songs. We love to sing new songs. We, we, we love to sing different stuff. I love that. But do you know that there are some people, I read an article 10 years ago, how singing a song in a minor chord was linked to devil worship. Like, y'all, listen, Jesus grew up in the Middle East. Like, every song's in minor key. Like, all of them, I'm like, someone's got to inform Jesus. We make these, these things in, into idols instead of allowing us to just worship God, which is what music was made to do, to celebrate the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Instead, we, we make it into something it's not, and God's uh, gift becomes a weight. So, so Jesus really starts addressing that idea, and that's what we get to live our life from, because I think if we know the why did God make the Sabbath for us, not we know why he did it, but why did he make it for us, and what's Jesus' role in the Sabbath, I, I believe that that allows us then to say, God, how can I delight in the gift that you've made in a way that brings you glory? Because that's the point. So look in your Bible, verse 25 and verse 26, at Jesus' response to this lawful, unlawful question. He says, verse 25, And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave, them, gave some to those who were with him. I mean, church, kind of the, the beautiful point of this is what Jesus says and what he doesn't say. He doesn't address their lawfulness or not lawfulness because their law that they're discussing has nothing to do with really what God has said. But he says, let me tell you something else because law, God's law doesn't conflict with himself. And he says, do you remember the story in our men's Bible study, we went through this recently, when David needed food, he was on the early run from Saul. And he goes and he sees the, the high priest. And, and the high priest at the time didn't live very long. It was Abathar's father, Ahimelech. And he gave him bread. And that bread was reserved for the priest and the priest's family. That's what it was set aside for. But David and his men were on the run. They were in need of food. They were in need of care, of nourishment, of God's provision. And so the priest felt that it was not breaking God's law to share it with him. It just wasn't what was lawful to just do randomly. In that moment, Jesus does something amazing. He says, the anointed king and his men were in need to fulfill the command and the mission God had put them on. And so they ate on the, on the Sabbath. They ate that food. I wonder if he made sure to make sure they knew. Today, the anointed king and his men have need to eat something on the Sabbath. What he does is he just tears apart a little bit of their law while bringing his wisdom in. 
And then he, after telling them this story that you need to understand your law better, he says, but let me tell you why the law, I mean, why the Sabbath exists. Verse 27. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The first idea is, why was Sabbath made for us? God made the Sabbath when he rested. But why did he make it for us? Now, a few things I want you to know so that you don't just toss the Sabbath aside. Be careful when you read that verse not to read it wrong. When the Bible says the Sabbath was made for man, it, it doesn't mean God said, here, you do what you would like with it. You, it's just yours. You just, didn't, you just have fun with it. Whatever you want to do, it's great. It belongs to you now. That's not what Jesus is saying. In the same way in Genesis chapter 1, when he tells uh, Adam and Eve, listen, I want you to rule the earth, subdue it, multiply. What he's not saying is, I'm taking my hands off and taking of leaves of absence. You're the, you're the high voice on this world. Do with my creation whatever you desire, whatever whims you want. The world belongs to him and everything in it. Yet to Adam and Eve, he said, you have dominion. He made it for us, but it belongs to him. So be careful that we don't pretend that he has given us his place. When the Bible says the Sabbath is made for man, the work is yinome, right? That's the word made. And what it means is it exists for you. It is a place for you. See, what Jesus says is, the Sabbath was made as a safe place, as a gift for you to delight in. It's mine, but it's made for you to enjoy and to embrace, to get your cup full, but to, to do that all under my banner. You see, if we think the Sabbath belongs to the, us, then we can choose to acknowledge it when we want to and choose not to when we want to. And, and Jesus doesn't go into how to, how many hours, what do you do, and all of those things. But he starts by saying, do you understand that the Sabbath was a present to be a place for you and I from the Lord? And you might say, what, what kind of present does that look like? Listen to what Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 4, as it unpacks this, let me get my piece out here. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 6. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he points to a certain day, appoints a certain day, today saying through David so long afterwards in words already penned. Today, if, your heart, if you hear this, hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For Joshua, if he had given them rest, God would not have spoken about a later day. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall to the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is a living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints of the marrow, of discerning the thoughts and the intention of the hearts. See, what the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Spirit, says is, is that Sabbath's purpose is to help you keep your eyes on your big reward. See, 
The point he makes is that the promised land was never the, the big deal. That wasn't ever the big win. Like, it's not you and I trying to buy land in Israel. But the promised land was just a taste of what's to come. And so he says, we should strive to enter the Sabbath rest because when we don't strive, when we don't look forward to the Sabbath rest, by living and following and resting as God did, it's amazing how disobedient creeps into our life. Let me give you an example. As the pastor, I don't often have to decide if I'm going to feel like showing up for church on Sunday morning. Right? That you have a freedom that I don't. Right? If I just called in 20 minutes for worship and told uh, the deacons, I, I just, I don't feel like it. I mean, they might smile on the phone and have a meeting that afternoon, right? But here's what I know after pastoring since 98 have been in ministry. When we get out of rhythm of being about the Lord and resting and worshiping with his people over one Sunday, one of our restful days, it makes it a little bit easier to do it again next week don't raise your hand but have you ever been out of the rhythm of going to church for weeks on end see when we're in the rhythm of worshiping God and being around God's people we tend to look forward to it more and more and when we are out of that rhythm do you know what stirs and breathes in our heart it's what the writer of Hebrews calls disobedience it's easier and easier not to do it. In fact, it starts becoming a burden. That's why on Mother's Day, it just seems like all the wives are like, husbands for Mother's Day, would you come to church with, with me? And dads, you, you say, well, all right, kids, get up. It's not Easter or Christmas, but we'll do it for you. We get out of the rhythm, and so disobedience finds a place. Here's what I know. When we get disobedient in this rhythm of practicing Sabbath, do you know what? It becomes really easy not to practice our daily time with the Lord, isn't it? I mean, when, when, we, when we miss the one day that God sets aside as restful, and I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm talking about worshiping and gathering and setting aside a day holy for God. We get out of the rhythm of that. We start easily getting out of the rhythm of, when's the last time I read my Bible that wasn't four sentences on an app before I started my day? When's the last time I, I was engaged with Jesus? And when we got, start getting out of the rhythm of spending time with the Lord, you know what we stop doing? We stop looking forward to our Sabbath rest that will happen when we are face-to-face -face with Jesus Christ. I think what Hebrews points to, what Jesus talks about is this. When we stop knowing that Sabbath is a gift to set our minds on things above, to make us salivate for what Sabbath will be like in all eternity. We stop saying, come Lord Jesus, come. And we start being anxious about the coming of Lord Jesus because what am I gonna do? Who am I gonna be? What's it gonna be like? You see, when we become disobedient in practicing Sabbath, all of our thoughts come back to ourselves. It's all about me. 
So I'm afraid of what eternity is going to be like. I am afraid of what tomorrow is going to be like. I'm afraid when I go back to the church, the pastor's going to make a joke how long he's seen me. I'm, I'm a, just disobedience breeds fear. And so when Jesus says that, that man was made for Sabbath, or Sabbath was made for man and not man for Sabbath, what he's saying is this, man isn't God's gift to the day of rest. The day of rest is God's gift to man because without that, you and I are prone to sin and we get so caught up in the world that spins around us, disobedience is like a fungus that gets fed all the time. And you're missing out on the joy of the gift. That's what Jesus says. And then he says something pretty fantastic in verse 28. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You see, he says, not only was man not made for the Sabbath, Sabbath was made for man, but the Son of Man is Lord over all of it. Church, Jesus does not share his authority. He doesn't give it away. He doesn't allow it to just go back to work. He, he offers it up and says very clearly, the Sabbath is a gift, but it's about the Son of Man. It's about me. And so when he does that, he recalls the conflict of the last few days. Like, what is it really about when Jesus heals a man that no one will come around? It's about drawing near to me. What's it really about when Jesus says to the sinner, I will come to where you are, but I won't leave you there. You won't impart your sin to me and it stained my body. But I will share my holiness with you because it's about me. When we fast, it's not about you earning coins in God's pockets. It, it's about you drawing near to God when there's distance. Sabbath isn't about a checklist that you will present to God one day. It's about drawing near to the one who has authority over the Sabbath. And there's a lot of ways to try that. We went one year where we didn't do TV at all on the Sabbath. It was exhausting and excitingly fun. That didn't make it more holy. What made it more holy was just that we were intentional all day long about being about the works of the one who made the Sabbath and just enjoying in that. And so Jesus doesn't say, here's your one, two, three of how to have the Sabbath correctly. But what he says is this, don't make a gift a burden. Don't pretend it belongs to you, but it was made for you. It was made for you to taste a taste of what you will get in eternity when you're with me all the time. And he closes it with this. And don't you think that you have the authority over it all? That's mine. Church, as we get ready for the Lord's Supper, I just want to have a time of invitation of offering for us because here's what I do know. I know 
what Sabbaths, our Sundays, are like. I know that they are crazy and distracting and they can be wild. I know they can be heavy. I mean, I think I had one set of Sunday clothes going up and you didn't get anything on those Sunday clothes, amen? Like going to church was like dodging landmines. It was joyful and fearful. If Sabbath has been a weight around your neck or it has been nothing to you, the invitation is this, stop robbing yourself and allowing disobedience to breed. During the invitation today, I wanna challenge you to pray. God, how have I celebrated you on Sabbath? How have I used it to draw near to you? How can I taste and see? I want to long for heaven, God. Help me allow this day to be the gift that you made it to be. If you don't know the authority of the Sabbath, Jesus Christ, you can't enjoy it. Because what awaits for any of us in sin is not Sabbath rest, but it's complete separation. So this morning, if you have always thought this is what Sabbath meant and this idea of this weight being on you has kept you from Jesus, this morning I want you to know that is a lie. But it begins with you saying to Jesus, I need you, I need your rest. And that only happens by making you my authority in my life. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you. We thank you for this day. Lord, we know that you are good and, and we know that we make good things hard. Lord, in our society, I know we have treated Sabbath like an empty weight. We know it's there, but it's really for us to move around at our pleasure. God, I confess that has robbed me, that has robbed us of the joy of anticipating, of investing in eternity with the Lord of the Sabbath. So Lord, I, I pray that if anyone shares that heart, that repentance would be on our lips, God, that we would stop making the gift a burden and that we would delight in you. Lord, as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, God, would you allow us to just lay our hearts before you that we might worship you, God, Lord, that we might follow in obedience in this gift that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.